0: Right? So, I mean, I think that the, the model that, um, that Canada or Colorado has is is, is probably you know, maybe the right balance for um, Nigeria to aim at it at the medium term. But you have marijuana, as you said, it's the most used uh, illicit narcotic, illicit in, in the Nigerian context. Um, and it's not harmless, but I mean, as I said, I think that the experience in Canada has shown that um, making it legal you know, overall is, is beneficial. We haven't seen an uptake in p- people who want to take marijuana. Were taking it when it was illegal. They were taking it when it was decriminalized. No more people took it when it was uh, when it was legalized.
1: Welcome to the Spark, a part series by Brut Consulting, discussing ideas that spark transformational growth. In each episode. We engage the best industry experts and thought leaders on strategic and innovative ideas for exponential business and institutional growth. Sit back and enjoy.
2: Hello and welcome to uh, Spark Post Series. Uh, the last 18 months, the world has been battling with COVID-19 pandemic. There's no doubt that this pandemic has affected our socioeconomic life. But there's another form of pandemic that is ravaging our country that may be unknown to some of us, and that is consumptions of illicit drugs and dangerous substance. With me this morning is Dr. Andrew Nevin. Andrew is a global thinker and doer, and his professional career in the last four, 34 years spans through the complex intersections of economics, strategy, capital market, and investment. Andrew is an entrepreneur, private equity investors, economist, and a strategy consultant whose work has taken him to four continents of the world, Africa, Asia, North America, and Europe, but currently now in Nigeria. Andrew is the current partner for financial services and chief economist of Pricewaterhouse in Nigeria. Among other things, he's the founding governor of Financial Center for Sustainability, a body funded to promote sustainable finance in the capital market across West Africa. Andrew is also a member of uh, the advisory board of Lagos Business School. He holds PhD in economics from Harvard University and MA philosophy and politics from Oxford University. In 2011, Andrew was named as Strategy Consultant of the Year by Management Consultant Association in UK. Today, we have with us a nation builder, a public intellectual, and someone who continues to play a critical role in advancing Nigeria and West Africa economy and society. Today, join me to welcome uh, with us uh, Dr. Andrew Nevin. Andrew, you are welcome. Good night. It's just uh, it's wonderful to be here with you. Thank you so much. Welcome. Now, as we started the program this morning, Andrew, I'd like to ask you, we did a survey of recent, and in our survey, 85% of our respondents told us that from their observations and from what they read, they think that consumptions of illicit drugs and dangerous substance has reached a pandemic level. What is your view on the consumptions of illicit drugs and dangerous substance in Nigeria? What is your view?
0: well it's always difficult to know the exact statistics on this, and of course you know people often believe you know incorrectly things that are worse than they are, but we know from um, the pandemic and we know from the economic situation i mean everyone in Nigeria has been under enormous amount of stress and we we know from around the world that when you're under that stress that your consumption of uh, of different kinds of drugs, whether they're legal or illegal for example um Increases, so I mean, it's not a surprise that in these conditions that we're seeing the use of illicit drugs or illegal drugs in Nigeria um, increase. Um, on, on that, um, so I think it's it's you know whether we call it a pandemic, I'm not I'm not sure of the exact uh, words we would use. I mean, you need to get into kind of more detailed, really numbers and analysis to know what's really going on. So I, I think while it's true that people um, believe that where things are getting worse, they probably are getting worse in this regard. Um, we, we just need more more understanding of
2: what's happening on the ground. Thank, thank, thank you so much, you know, for that. Um, if you don't call it pandemic, what should we call it? Do you consider it to be a problem? Point well, in I, country?
0: yeah, no, I, I, understand. I mean, I think, of course, you know, why do people take uh, substances, you know, mood altering substances, right? I mean, in many cases, I mean, we know around the world. That when you're in difficult conditions, you're more prone to to these sorts of addictions. And of course, the addictions are not just to uh, illicit drugs. I mean, of course, coffee is the most consumed um, sort of mood altering drug in the world. It's not uh, illegal, though, in some cultures. In Mormon religion, for example, it's, you're not allowed to drink coffee because of its effect. Um, and of course, alcohol. Uh, again, different religions have prohibitions on it, but it's widely used around the around the world. And its um, usage increases in difficult situations. So, in in Nigeria, I mean, we have a a situation where we've had enormous economic pressure, very high unemployment, particularly among the youth. It's not a big surprise in these circumstances. People look for uh, ways of of coping. And then, of course, we've had the the pandemic as well um, uh, on that. And I I think that... um, in the Nigerian context, I mean, it, you know, it's culturally complex. We have a lot of um, people that are kind of poorly poorly educated. In these conditions, you're ripe for the use of illicit drugs. And, of course, I think the drug of, of choice for many young people is tramadol.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Now, when we look at it, do you think that there's uh, a relationship between The consumption of drugs and socio-economic development of Nigeria, can it impact um, productivity? What do you think is the impact of this actually?
0: Well, I, yeah, like many things, I mean, the causality runs both ways. So, I mean, I think as a starting point, if we, if we, if we, you know, take a step back for a minute, before we discuss kind of illicit the consumption of illicit drugs, what are we trying to accomplish in any society? I would argue we're trying to to accomplish the well being of the people. We want people to be, uh, you know, having having worthwhile lives. So the term that I've used and have written about is flourishing. We want as many people as possible to to flourish. Now. And, Taking illicit substances, mind-altering substances, um, being addicted to mind-altering substances, is inimical to flourishing. So you don't want people to feel the the need to want to go out there and take mind-altering substances. But why do they do it? As I said, you know they do it because they're under stress, because uh, they have financial problems, they're poorly educated. So if we want to address the the issue of illicit drugs, rather than, in my view, taking it on you know directly, I mean uh, the the best route, of course, is to have socioeconomic development. I mean, if we had better education for our young people, if we had more job opportunities that people felt were fulfilling and allowed them to lead flourishing lives, then I think you would automatically get... Um, a reduction in the consumption of illicit illicit drugs. So, the, this high consumption in Nigeria is a, is a not the cause; it's the consequence of the socio economic development challenges that we that we have. So, I mean, you know, you cited this uh, number in your survey that sixty nine percent of respondents say consumption of illicit drugs can negatively affect socio economic development of Nigeria, and I mean that's absolutely true. But if we want people to consume illicit drugs, where we need to start with it is to improve the socioeconomic development uh, on that including you know education and this education is not when a young person reaches adulthood or late teens I mean it has to start when they're eight, nine ten years old and discuss the you know the terrible, um, problems that come from taking illicit mind altering altering drugs and becoming addicted to it, but at the same time, unless there's a chance for people to you know see a future and a path forward, they're still going to be drawn into this um, into this uh, terrible affliction.
2: Thank, thank you so much, uh, Andrew. Um, there, there is a report actually that shows that uh, globally, when you look at it, uh, why you have an average global standard of about 5.6% in terms of uh, consumptions of drugs. Uh, but when it comes to Nigeria, it's pretty high that sometimes it's between 15 and 20%. Uh, you've talked about prayer, socioeconomic you know, prayer has led some of the youth, of course, we are talking about the youth, has led the youth to embracing the culture or you know, going into illicit drugs. However, if you spin it around, you also discover that there seems to be a trend among even the, the youth who, could, who are well-off, who are above uh, uh, the poverty line, and seems to be that there is a culture that made them to gravitate towards consumptions of some of these substances. What is your view on that? What do you think is responsible for that? Beyond the socioeconomic prayer, I, I mean, in rich countries, you have wealthy people that
0: consume cocaine, for example, uh, as as a as a habit. I mean, I think you're always going to have well-off people who, kind of, to some extent, are a little bit bored and have too much money and kind of gravitate to that to that to that high. I mean, I I don't think in the Nigerian context that that group of people um, at the higher um, socioeconomic levels. I don't think it's any bigger than. Than other groups. I have to say, you know, my ten years of living in Nigeria, I I find actually that the interest in uh, illicit illicit drugs I think is less than when I lived in Canada, for example, among, among wealthier people. Certainly alcohol consumption is lower in Nigeria, in my observation, than in many other countries. I mean, I, I'm in the UK at the moment about to return to Nigeria, and, and um, you know, drinking alcohol is in, into excess is very deeply ingrained in the culture of the United Kingdom. So I, I don't think on those dimensions that um, Nigeria has a, has a culture that's you know, more prone to illicit to narcotic addiction than, than others. As I said, you know, so it would be interesting to do kind of the, the real statistical analysis that related to, to the socioeconomic issues and you know, what happens in different classes of society um, on that. But as I said, I mean, I don't think, I, I need to add, I mean, I am, uh, come from a country, of course, where the use of marijuana is legalized. Um, There are companies that sell marijuana. It's a business. The government taxes it. Um, I myself have never used marijuana and wouldn't encourage it. But um, I I think that's been an excellent policy for us. And of course, there's some jurisdictions in the United States where uh, marijuana is also legalized, you know, thinking of of Colorado. So, I mean, from, from that viewpoint I think some of these, and of course, in Portugal, uh, there is—you know—drugs dr- are not are being decriminalized. So, so if someone has an addiction, it's not treated treated as a criminal matter; it's treated treated as a as a medical matter or as a psychiatric matter, and they've had much better results on that. So, I think that when we have this kind of uh, concept of the war on drugs, I mean, my uh, belief is certainly in the United States context that the war on drugs has been you know, highly, highly damaging. I mean, you put. Uh, yeah, literally hundreds of thousands of people in in very expensive jails, ruining their lives over the consumption of something like um, marijuana. And for what 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 purpose? I mean, it really serves no no social purpose. And so when you look into harder harder drugs, again, you know what is the purpose of criminalization? In fact, I mean, I think the government, certainly in developed countries, would be better off continuing this drive to decriminalize these drugs. And one of the reasons for it too is, I mean, we have a lot of deaths that happen because when these things are driven underground and you take uh, an illicit drug, you don't know what is in it, in fact. Whereas if you had a, a kind of um, more decriminalized system where what you were actually taking was known, you knew the um, psychonarcotic effects of it, I think we would, we would be better off. But of course, I don't think... Nigeria is um, ready for this discussion though I did see one of the I, I believe one of the honorable ministers did come out and make the same point that in fact that uh, the use of marijuana should be should be decriminalized. but I haven't seen a lot of discussion of this in in the Nigerian context. Um, and then you also kind of you know look again at the at the kind of uh, drug enforcement, policies and mechanisms in in Nigeria and again like a lot of things you know they don't work perfectly and you know I worry that again that's kind of counterproductive to to where we want to go so I think it's interesting to think about what are the policies that would actually get young people off of drugs and we tend to have this this kind of draconian view that more more law enforcement is going to have that that End result, but I think the experience around the world has shown that that's in fact just not not true. So I put that out for the for all of us to reflect on. You know what would be the optimal policies with respect to the use of what are currently illicit drugs. Right? Of course, we also recognize um, even if a drug is is illegal from a from a from a you know, framework uh, standpoint from the legal framework of the country. Of course, different religions have different views on it. It wouldn't necessarily mean that it would be permitted. Of course, in, in your religion.
2: Thank you so much, uh, Andrew. Now, I, I want us to look at, uh, you, you mentioned the issue of, you know, cultural, I mean, the cultural issues. Of course, there's no doubt about it that it has possibly influenced uh, the policies on drugs. Um, when you talk about drugs in Nigeria, I think marijuana, you know, came first, apart from other illicit, uh, you know, substances. And you, I'm glad you mentioned United States of America and approach, you know, to drugs, compared that with uh, Canada. Uh, Another country that is very interesting is a place like (laughs) Philippines. If you look at what is happening in Philippines, a lot of them are killed, a lot of them are are in jail, and yet the consumption has not abated. What is that one thing that you believe should be done in order to ensure that people are not unnecessarily criminalized, However, that the consumption of drugs does also lead to putting stress on the healthcare facilities you have, you know, for instance, in the U.S., they have, you know, uh, uh, they have rehab centers. I'm not sure of any rehab centers you have in Nigeria, and yet the consumption of drugs, you know, continues. So when we look at the issue of policy and we look at the issue of the facility, you know, the stress on the facility, our preparedness, our capacity to even treat drug disorder. What do you think needs to be done in order to uh. ensure, in order to ensure that we have the right capacity to treat drug disorder? In order to also ensure that, like you said, people con- I mean, consume co- uh, caffeine, co- I mean, coffee, you know, and all of that, and that is not a criminal offense. So, what are the drugs that you feel? Okay, well, if it has to be uh, decriminalized, I believe that this should be some of the things we should look into. What will you consider to be, you know, uh, the approach when it comes to decriminalizing the drugs usage? Uh, yes. you no, know, I think I think it's a very good question. I
0: mean, I mean, to begin with, obviously, if something is criminalized, it's all, it's very difficult to, to mix. The justice system, together with the healthcare system. So, if someone is uh, taking taking uh, you know hard hard drugs, it's affecting their health. They're addicted to heroin, for example. Uh, and that's a crime. They're not going to be really uh, able to go to a healthcare facility because, of course, the healthcare facility is now obligated to get the criminal justice system involved, right? So, I mean, I think that the the model that um, that Canada or Colorado has is is, is probably you know, maybe the right balance for um, Nigeria to aim at it at the medium term. But you have marijuana, as you said, it's the most used uh, illicit narcotic, illicit in in the Nigerian context. Um, And it's not harmless, but I mean, as I said, I think the the experience in Canada has shown that um, making it legal overall is, is beneficial. We haven't seen an uptake in people who want to take marijuana were taking it when it was illegal. They were taking it when it was decriminalized. No more people took it when it was uh, when it was legalized. But again, when you go into the marijuana shops in Canada, you know precisely the product you're getting. You're not uh, in danger of you know, buying a, a tainted or adulterated product and having some you know terrible side effect um, from that. So that's been very helpful. And of course, the tax revenue the government is has been very helpful. We don't use police resources to uh, worry about um, about marijuana. And then when you go to harder drugs, again you have a step of not necessarily legalizing them. I'm not sure that's that would be advantageous, but at least decriminalizing it. So if someone who's addicted to heroin is not a criminal, it's a medical issue. And now when they go to the, and we all have an interest, um, the individual has an interest, but as a society, we have an interest as well. So there's few people having their lives um, destroyed by being addicted to these drugs. So then they can go through the, the, pr- the process, hopefully, of, um, of being able to kind of um, break that addiction and return to kind of normal society. But yeah, that's not something that's possible to do uh, while you're also in the criminal justice system. So if we look at the United States, for example, I'm sure people have have, um, have, have seen the news of uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals and over the years, the tremendous uh, addiction that was caused by OxyContin, um, just you know, horrible. So you had uh, Purdue pushing these pain relieving, what were meant as pain relieving uh, pills, They put out tainted research that said that these were not addictive. They were actually highly addictive. Um, And if people... Then um in their addiction led to many deaths. And of course, it was all mixed in together with the criminal justice system at the same time. So taking, you know, w- once you're addicted, you have to get this drug. And of course, the they stopped prescribing so much of it. So then you had uh illegal versions of the drugs. Everyone's heard of fentanyl, I'm sure. But now you're you're trying to to prevent someone dying from fentanyl overdose, but at the same time, you've got the criminal justice system pursuing them in the United States. So that's a real, a real contradiction. So I, I'm a firm Believer. And I think Portugal has shown, based on, on what I've read about it, very well that this decriminalization um, you know, really really helps society as a whole. And of course, it also it does another thing, which is it removes uh, a lot of the. Um, the, the kind of gang warfare, the tremendous profits that, that the drug pushers get. I mean, if you take them out of the equation, it also helps with the problem of having, you know, less addicts. I mean, obviously Purdue is a company and individual drug dealers as individuals, you know, they want to have a market, they want people to be able to sell to. But when you decriminalize it, you take out some of the excess profits that go to the drug dealers, so less people are kind of pushing the drugs and enticing young people to get to, to get addicted. So I, I've never seen any benefit from from this criminalization, the war on drugs. I mean, if you look, in the, again, in the U.S. context, the the impact of the war on drugs, not just in the United States, but, of course, on destabilizing Mexico, uh, destabilizing Colombia, Guatemala. I mean, it's just been enormous. And I, you know, I hope other countries learn from that. I mean, in the Philippines at the moment, I haven't been to the Philippines for for quite some time. But, again, you 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 read about you know, what is the uh, impact of, of all this kind of... Um, police police action against suspected drug dealers, right? And of course, it's not restricted. It's, you know, there's no trials. There's a lot of extrajudicial killings right now under the, the present Filipino regime. Um, and again, I don't think, as you said, it doesn't have a, an impact on actually reducing the number of people that, that take drugs. So we need to have a system where it's treated as a medical issue, not as a criminal issue. I mean, obviously, we know... Well, we knew already, but certainly as a result of COVID, we understand the need to strengthen our, our health care system in Nigeria. As you strengthen the healthcare, and we was on an event yesterday with the vice president, there was a lot of discussion about, about that. So I think it's wide recognition of a better healthcare system. And a better health care system will include components for helping young people, well, anyone who's addicted, not just young people, but particularly young people, be able to get themselves off. But as I said, you cannot focus on the health issues around uh, NARC products um, at the same time you're pursuing someone and put a, trying to put them in jail.
2: The Spark is sponsored by Brute Consulting. Brute Consulting helps businesses achieve and sustain innovative growth through a design led approach. We pursue in depth insights derived from reliable research and a focus on the future of industry to guide and navigate distribution. We exist to exceed your expectations in all our service offerings, consulting services, in house trainings, and open workshop. Check out ww.prootseed.com for more. That's that's really interesting, you know, because I could see the you know the paradox, the contradiction between treating somebody as a criminal. Because of consumptions of an addictive substance and at the same time you're talking of providing you know, the necessary health care to be able to support that. Now the question I have uh, again you know, for you is, what do you think if today uh, consumptions of marijuana is you know, decriminalized uh, like they have in Canada, uh, do you think theres uh, any economic benefits of that to, to the country? Well,
0: I I think that the Colorado and the Canadian experience have have shown. um, I mean, first you get a benefit because you're not expending police resources to do, you know, chase down people that 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 smoke marijuana. You're not putting people that smoke marijuana into into jail, so you get a benefit that way, reduction in those costs. Uh, You get another industry that's producing uh, a product that's used that, that pays taxes. Um, So I think it has been beneficial. But I think what's interesting, and certainly in the Canadian context, is I don't think there was some expectation that you would get an increased consumption and you, when you move in, decriminalized or legalized, not, not just decriminalized, but legalized marijuana in Canada. There was some thinking that you get an increase in consumption, so there were quite some predictions about the, the size of the industry and the tax revenue generated for the government. As it turns out, yes, they've generated tax revenue, but no no more people are smoking marijuana than smoked before, so the tax, the tax revenue for the government wasn't quite high as predicted. but that's fine. It's not like we want more people smoking marijuana uh, on that and I think I think we've reached a very good spot in, in, in Canada. I mean it's also interesting I have to say I don't you know I'm not, I'm not quite sure how this works in Nigeria certainly the current generation of young people so in North America and even in the UK for example, um, they they actually consume less alcohol, less drugs than their parents. So you go back what I said about for example, alcohol in the United Kingdom very deeply entrenched, cultural institution um, for for many, many people in the United Kingdom, the, the pub, you know, Friday afternoon after work or even before work ends at the pub, for example. Um, but this generation is actually consuming less. So I think, I think it's certainly in developed nations. And one reason they may be consuming less, of course, is there's so much anxiety. I mean, you look at young people, I mean in my generation, as we came out, you know, I had the privilege to have a university education. You thought the future was secure. You could get a good job. You know your futures look bright, so you didn't worry about much, and you ended up consuming, um, You know, in my case, alcohol. Not, never drugs, but drug consumption, of course, in the 60s and 70s was, was, uh, was, was higher than today. But today's young people in developed nations, I mean, look at all of the socioeconomic challenges in Nigeria for young people, but the reality is in developed nations, young people are very worried about their future. And one of the consequences of that Is that the, you know, not being able to get a job, not knowing. The, what's going to happen with climate change, uh, for example? So one of the consequences of that is this generation actually consumes less alcohol and less drugs than um, than the boomer generation, which is interesting. So um, I, you know, I don't think that we should worry about if we go down the path in any country of kind of legal, some legalization, some decriminalization. I don't think the evidence suggests that that leads to a huge um, spike in the use of uh, use of drugs.
2: Very interesting. I think the the, the, uh, the Canadian of, uh, uh, I mean, the Canada case has, um, has given us maybe it's like a beacon of hope uh, because I follow very closely when it was legalized. I thought uh, maybe there would be upsurge in the consumptions. And I'm glad this morning to hear that, I mean, it's been tested. There's no upsurge in the consumptions. Um, and at the same time, the government is able to you know, to generate revenue, even though that is not the major focus. And beyond that is the fact that we've seen other industry, you know, that's a copper as a result of this. Very interesting analysis, uh, I must say. Now, I need to ask you, if there is going to be one radical uh, policy change that you will recommend based on your, based on trends, based on your experience, possibly based on research, In the Nigeria, what would that uncommon uh, policy, you know, recommendation be from your hand?
0: Well, I I think the the way I would approach it is I I think Nigeria would benefit from having a more honest conversation about uh, illicit drugs. I mean, what tends to happen, I think in Nigeria and I mean other places as well, but we observe it every day is People say pandemic of drugs. Young people pay, taking drugs. We need more draconian measures that are going to, um, you know, try to take care of this this scourge for the for the young people. Um, and I don't. I think that we're lacking kind of the the root cause analysis. I mean, you think about. I mean, couldn't your your business. I mean, I know you're very uh, you know, leader in the country in terms of kind of lateral and creative thinking. So we have this very linear thinking process about um, illegal drugs, and and we don't have really any uh, leadership from from the most senior. Um, this most senior uh, uh, political leaders. I think. Sorry, when I think, reflect back on who was who was advocating for the decriminalization of marijuana. Maybe one of the governors, and not an official of the federal government. But, but I think wh- what would be the starting point is for. Um, the most senior members of the federal government to come out and say, you know, we recognize we have uh, a challenge with illicit drugs. We want to get to the root cause of this and not have like an easy solution. I mean, to be honest, one of the things that drove... Um, the very destructive behavior in the United States of this war on drugs is of course money because you announce a war on drugs as President Bush um, did and then you end up funding the drug enforcement agencies they're happy to you know take the money and buy all the fancy toys to track down the drug dealers and of course they're then encouraged to say there's a huge drug problem because the bigger the drug problem the bigger their their budgets and The more people they put uh, in in jail, the bigger their budgets. In the United States, they have the um, uh, private prisons. So the people that run private prisons are always encouraging the incarceration of people for minor expenses. And you get this entire machinery of the war on drugs of people who benefit from human misery. So that's a very negative place to get into it. But in the Nigerian context, um, if, if the federal government could lead a conversation that says, look, let's... Let's have um, a very thoughtful approach to this. So you know, first off, you know, let's understand what's actually happening on the ground. So you cited some statistics about people's beliefs. We all have beliefs about this um, situation, but you know, let's get, better numbers of what's happening on the ground, how many young people are affected, how they're affected, what are the drugs that are that are affecting them, uh, how are they coming in? So get a better baseline. And then ask the question, You know what's, again, the root cause of this, right? And if the root cause, as I said, I think it's largely because of the economic challenges that we're having and a lack of education, then we need to kind of focus, focus on that. And if the federal government led that conversation, I think we get away from these kind of draconian solutions um, that haven't been effective elsewhere. And Again, I mean, of course, the security forces in Nigeria are no different than the security forces in the United States in this regard. If they see a budgetary opportunity by talking about this war on drugs or you know the terrible scourge for, for young people, and that we can fix it by enforcement by putting people in jail, then they're going to pursue that for you know, really for economic reasons, and despite the tremendous human cost. So I think that's the the, the, the starting starting point for it. I mean, in terms of just, um, Practical policy again. I mean, I'm not going to advocate in this context that that the country where Nigeria's act considers decriminalization of hard drugs, but I think it may be worth, as the governor said, uh, one of the governors said, I believe, to consider decriminalizing uh, marijuana. I mean, he went further and actually said legalize it because he had been looking at the example of of Canada, um, of uh, the Netherlands, of Colorado, and he went that step. So if the government wanted to consider the legalization of just marijuana, I think that would be um, an important step. But this real starting point for me is a more honest conversation about how does this, the the, the real root causes of the drug challenges that we have and, and getting away from just this kind of more draconian and particularly because I mean a lot of it again it's you know it's tied up with with um when you have these illegal activities and particularly in the Nigerian context again you know money plays such a big role so of course the the drug dealers people who want to import drugs have ways to protect themselves ways of dealing with the customs so the you know the customs people the drug enforcement people aren't necessarily always um applying the rules evenly in this case because again they're they're Bent by the the lure of money, and you know one of the the things that really helped in Canada is once you uh, legalize marijuana, the pricing was very transparent. The price comes down, you add some tax, so the government gets some benefit. Um, so you don't have the incentive, as I said, for tremendous you know, gangs and criminals to get involved. It's just, it's, I mean, I know someone, friend of mine who's, who started in the marijuana business once it was legalized. It's a normal person, runs a shop, you know, makes a normal income on that, isn't dealing with the police. Uh, what he sells is known uh, on that. So, you know, as I said, we've had a very positive experience in Canada with this.
2: Brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, you talk about the need to start honest conversation. Uh, from the cultural you know uh, viewpoint uh, there are some things that probably are difficult to start in a place like Nigeria the issue of sex is one of it even though many parents you know got involved in uh, premarital sex but you know for a long time you don't want to discuss sex with your kids you don't even want them to be into, I mean, to be involved in premarital sex very topical issue. Another issue is the issue of drug consumptions. Like you said, we've seen parents taking alcohol, taking drugs, and yet they don't want their kids to be involved. We have seen law enforcement agencies, officers, we have seen people in government being involved in consumptions of drugs, yet they are the one at the forefront of leading the war against drug. What do we call this? Well, there's always an element of hypocrisy in
0: in this, as you say. I mean, um, lots of very wealthy and very powerful people around the world, including those holding public office, uh, take cocaine. And, um, you know, I've never, never been interested or done it myself, but you're aware of, of very senior people who do it, and it is a form of hypocrisy. And, of course, I mean, you go back, and again, the United States example of the prohibition, so... People may be aware. I think from 1922, uh, I'll just check as we speak. They 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 tried to prohibit uh, alcohol in the um, in the United States. It was a it was a uh, amendment to the Constitution, in fact, and um, eventually got reversed. But of course, it spawned all sorts of criminal activity. You know, many of the people who voted for prohibition. Um, um, they 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 voted for it as a politician, but they uh, they consumed alcohol, right? So they would be voting on one hand for this prohibition, and they would be going down to the speakeasy and the, where they were consuming what was now an illegal substance. You know, there's this tremendous um, hypocrisy of that. So so that was banned from 1920 to 1933, and of course it spawned all sorts of criminal activity. And actually, Canada was the um, beneficiary of this. So what would happen is that the Windsor, which is just across the border from Detroit, uh, would uh, produce, you know, major distilleries of whiskey and they would then take a boat and the people on the Canadian side who were you know, the customs officers say, where are you taking the alcohol? They'd say Cuba, taking this alcohol to Cuba. Well, the boat would... Canadians are fine. There's nothing illegal about that from a Canadian viewpoint. So the boat would go go away. Um, and then an hour later, it would it dropped off its cargo on the U.S. side to the bootleggers there, and it would come back and refill again. You have the same custom officer who you know, sent this boat off to Cuba, but it's back in an hour, and it's refilled again. And where are you going? We're going to Cuba. <laughs> so we built you know, huge businesses. So Hiram Walker is one of the major uh, still global distillers and it was based in Windsor exactly because of prohibition. So you breed criminal criminal elements on that. And of course, you know, we all are aware of the story of for example of Al Capone in uh in chicago on that so i mean i don't think the world has a great experience with these these prohibitions um uh, uh, on that and certainly the the u.s alcohol example the the marijuana example shows some of the benefits when things are legalized and you're much more able to treat so now i mean obviously alcohol addiction is also a tremendous problem uh for some people but you you're like, you can treat it when it's not illegal when consumption of alcohol is not illegal
2: Thank you so much. Uh, it's, um, it's a great honor to have you uh, on this uh, program. Thank you for your insight. Uh, as we wrap up uh, now, I want you to just uh, leave us with just one word, one statement rather, regarding drug consumptions in Nigeria. You've said so much, but can you just give us, you know, an, a common insight?
0: Well I, I really, I, yeah, well, I really, yeah, I genuinely believe if we make progress with the future for young people in Nigeria, the illicit drug issue will take care of itself. It will fade away.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a great privilege to have you, and uh, we enjoy your insights, and I believe that we share this with all our you know, audience, and uh, from there, if there are questions or anything, we're going to deal with it. We believe that this is going to lead to honest conversations around drug consumptions in Nigeria. Thank you so much, uh, again, for being on this program. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kunle.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Spark by Brut Consulting. To subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, head over to wwwbrutccom forward slash spark so you never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate our rating. Or simply tell a friend or colleague about the show and that will help us out. You might also want to check out our open workshop for the month or the free resources and materials on our website, www.brookc.com.